Hello, my name's Dan Up, long-time listener. Just saying, thanks for tuning in today. Here's Cammie. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 143 of the Masterclass Podcast. My name is Cam, his name is Dave. We are your hosts and we are happy to be here. Isn't that right, sir? We are very, very, very happy to be here. Excited to be here even. Can you hear it in my voice? That's how excited we are. There's a whole slew of... People in the audience. inside my recorder that are clapping for us. You know, they're real. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the sense that someone recorded them. Anyways. So, yes, we're excited to be here. This is good. Uh, Dave. Yeah. Do you know what today was? I don't know what it was. What'd you do today? It's Thursday, but it is Thursday. Yeah, it's a, it's an unusual day for us to record. But ah, today true. was day one of the Global Leadership Summit. Which and what? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. What exactly is the leadership Global Leadership Summit? It is a two day conference based out of Willow Creek Church in the Chicago suburbs. I think. Barrington or North one. There's a direction Barrington. I think North. I don't know. South. It's, it's in the suburbs somewhere. Um, and I kind of was unsure how the whole global leadership summit stuff would go in the wake of, uh, uh, what's his name? The pastor from Willow Creek. Bill Hybels. Yes, Bill Hybels, thank you. And I remember last year, like, Denzel Washington pulled out and, like, three or four other people pulled out from the summit because they did not want – because it was, like, it happened, I think, two months, one month Mm -hmm. after all of the news about – all the accusations against Bill Hybels. And so I was like, well, I wonder – it's a separate organization from Willow Creek, but, like, Bill Hybels was the lead guy in both. And uh, so, anyways, I was I was offered a free ticket to this year's conference uh, at a satellite location in my town. So I'm not driving the hour. Well, actually, to get there, it's probably like two hours because it's out in the suburbs. Um, anyways, uh, so I went today, and it was uh, it was interesting. Hmm. There were uh, some not so great talks and some. Pretty awesome ones. Have you ever heard of uh, a guy named Craig Groeschel? I have not. He he runs this really tiny church called Life Church. Uh, that is, is that in Oklahoma? It's in Oklahoma City. And okay, so yeah, I do know who he, that is. Then yeah, he's the the guy that has a satellite, and they have thirty three campuses and a bunch of. Uh, network churches like my church, which is uh, we're not a campus of Life Church, but we stream Craig in most weeks to do the teaching. Um, 
he opened and he's like the global leadership champion for this, which is essentially he's like the face of it now. Mm-hmm. And he has a leadership podcast and he's all about leadership. And I swear, I think I heard the word leadership probably a thousand times today. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do so hot today in my humble estimation. Hmm. It was kind of a bummer, but there were some, uh, very other interesting uh, people that we heard from. So yeah. uh, there was this woman named Liz Bohannon. I forget the name of the company she runs because I wasn't so much inter- interested in that as much as she was 22, quit her job, moved to Uganda to make friends with girls that didn't have enough money to go to college. Weird thing to do, right? Yeah. Uh Anyways, really cool. Uh, the best presentation of the day. She wound up flying over the crowd at the end on a on a harness and rope <laughs> after quoting the Ducks Fly Together monologue from Mighty Ducks to close out her uh, her talk, which was, I don't know, maybe the best ending of a talk I've ever heard because who quotes that at the end of their leadership? Right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, her name is Liz Bohannon. She uh, has a book coming out called Beginner's Pluck that I will be reading. I highly suggest you look her up. Super cool. Uh, then a dude named Jason Dorsey showed up, and he runs a, uh, a company, a research company called uh, Something Generational kinetics like it's it's a weird name but it's they their entire goal is to study the different generations around the world and to find the things that make them different and similar and so there was a lot of talk obviously about millennials and you know their so-called entitlement and their so-called unwillingness to work and all of this stuff and uh, he screamed a lot, like <laughs> a lot. Um, but what was really interesting, he made fun of baby boomers a ton, which was hysterical because there was quite a few of them in the crowd as well. And he's like, get out your pens. And if you don't have one, ask a baby boomer because they brought an extra emergency pen <laughs> and an emergency check. <laughs> I mean, he just had, he had so many good jokes, but the interesting thing was like, he started off the talk with the number one trend that they found in their research that influences generations is parenting. And he kind of did the, Oh yeah, we're going there. Like, you know, one of those things, (laughs) because a lot of times like you skirt around that topic because I, I mean, I've even seen like in my own friends and family, like trying to tell someone how to parent their child is like, you might as well just swear them up one side and down the other and offend them so deeply that they never want to talk to you again. Yeah. Because everyone knows how to parent their own child the best. And I'm just like, you've been a parent for six months. What do you know? Like I've been a parent for two and a half years and I've got a really good handle on my kid. I don't have a really good handle on what it means to be a great dad yet. Cause I just mm-hmm. don't have the experience, right? Like I know my kid really, really well. I can calm her down. I can get her excited. We can play. We can have serious discussions as much as you can with a two and a half year old, right? About how we behave. But I don't know the first thing about what it means to parent a kid that isn't 
two and a half or younger. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. <laughs> I realize I'm talking so much right now, but he was talking about, you know, how everyone, you know, kind of craps on the millennial generation for not wanting to work and all this stuff. And he's like, well, hey, you know what, baby boomers, it's your fault because you created us. So <laughs> which I was like, wow, shots fired. Uh, then he said the second trend that influences generations is technology. In that a lot of people refer to millennials as tech savvy. And he said, that's not really correct. We're just tech dependent. Mm-hmm. We can't do stuff without it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, so I know this isn't dad college because, you know, RIP that show. Um, <laughs> but I thought this might be a good talking point for us because, hey, guess what? Uh, Audible number two episodes in a row that wasn't english we're not we're not talking about romans because we didn't we didn't want to so we're going to be adults and and do what we want and not do what we don't want to (laughs) do uh so parenting is the number one trend that influences generations what are your thoughts on that because i feel like you might have one or two well yeah i I mean i would definitely agree with that and i think there's a lot of um parents not wanting to be so as a parent, I don't want to be what my parents were, and I want to be everything they weren't. And so I think there's kind of a pendulum swing uh, when it comes to parenting on that. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think parenting has a huge, huge influence on that. And, you know, I know one of the jokes is the whole... Uh, or cliches maybe even is that everybody gets a trophy kind of mentality. You know, we're seeing, he may have made four or five jokes about that. Oh, really? (laughs) At one point he goes, and you don't have to give me a trophy. (laughs) Awkward pause. I already have too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but, but at the same time, it's, it's, I think that's in response to, you know, what they experienced as kids and kind of feeling left out and excluded and there being an elite group. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's well-intentioned and I don't think it's coming from a place of, well, obviously their parents, you would hope that parents want the best for their kids. You would hope. But yeah. I, I think a lot of it is just a reaction to, you know, not being, cause like I, one of the things that I think about as, as a parent was, um, it just seemed like for me, you know, there was a lot of like, um, not spending the money on the good thing. It was, you know, you don't need Nikes, the name brand tennis shoes will do you just as good. And that's one of the things that I, you know, as a parent, I've been like kind of willing to do that for my kids because I remember as a kid kind of going, yeah, I I feel excluded because I don't have the things that other kids do have. And now, now I'm not, I wouldn't talk, you know, I wouldn't say, well, we probably did spoil our kids, but uh, it wasn't about giving them everything and anything, but it was just sort of that understanding of I get why you want the name brand versus the generic or the no name or whatever, because especially as a teenager, that carries some weight with it. And so that was one of those places where uh, with our girls, I was 
a lot more willing to say yes than I felt like my parents were. And again, I don't, you know, it wasn't like they were doing it to make my life miserable. It was because that stuff really doesn't matter. <laughs> and so well, I probably yeah, benefited I from them being that way. And I don't know how my girls will or won't benefit from the way we allow them to have those things. That, yeah, so that that is interesting, the the reaction to how your parents handle the situation versus how you handle it with your kids and mm-hmm. the sort of pendulum swings that happen. Yeah. I was talking uh, to a guy from my church named Jim who is in his uh, mid to late 60s. And, you know, so that means he has grown kids and grandkids and um he was, you know, we were, we were talking about this whole gen after the generational talk, we were talking about like, you know, how he parented his kids when he was a hippie versus when he parented his younger kids after he was a born again Christian. And you know, the difference in, in how they handled things and the difference, mm-hmm. and the difference in what they saw mom and dad doing versus in not doing and, you know, all that sort of stuff and how they handled different situations and, the impact that he could see it having on his kids now that they're parents, um, which I was like, Oh, that's really interesting because you know, me and both of my sisters grew up with Christian parents, mm-hmm. not, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, a lot of good memories, couple terrible ones, right. With, with my parents, but there was not a fundamental shift in them that could separate me from my siblings. Whereas like when he brought that up, I was like, so you've got one kid that's like 11 years older that had enough life of you not being a Christian and, and, you know, living the hippie life and, and all that stuff versus these two other kids that had a completely different upbringing. And that totally blew my mind. Cause I was like, I don't know if I know anyone like that where the, the kids had such a different experience, you know, at a young age. Um, so that was, that was super interesting to me. Um, but I want to go back to one of the things you said, uh, earlier about not wanting to be your parents. Mm -hmm. Cause that's, I feel like that's a pretty consistent thing. Even if your parents were like totally all right people. Right. Cause like some people have parents that just, I mean, honestly should have never been parents. Like, you should have to pass a test or something. <laughs> I mean, maybe not because that's like, you know, way too much governmental control, but like you get the sentiment behind the comment. Like some people just right. shouldn't have kids because they're not, oh, equipped, yeah. they're not equipped to handle it. And they set that child up for a much more difficult life than that child deserves. But, um, so my dad, and I've, I'm sure I've shared this before, so I won't go into like the long version. Um, his mom, my grandmother, was married six times to five different men. Wow. She married and divorced the same guy twice. <laughs> um, so he never had anything but transient, not great dudes as father figures. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get uh, saved until he was what, 17. Um, just really kind of a crappy upbringing. 
Um, his mom would let them drink at their house when they were teenagers so they wouldn't do it elsewhere, which is like, well, that's how you solve the problem. But, <laughs> you know, not, right. not, not my, you know, yeah. whatever. That's how, that's what happened. And that's what it was. Um, but it's interesting to see my dad and how he parented me and my sisters and how much he swung in the total opposite direction of how he was raised. Because how he was raised was traumatic at best, right? Um, you know, mom was an alcoholic and stepdads were here and then gone and then a new one and, you know, a couple years later a new one and a couple years later a new one and a couple years later, oh, this guy's back again and a couple years later, wait, that used to be my uncle, now he's my stepdad. I'm confused. <laughs> True story. Uh, but to see how my dad then swung from how he was raised to how he raised us and he was the he was the bad guy and he was the control and he was the rules, you know, this, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Not to say that he was, I mean, he also took us on day trips during the summer once a week. So my mom had a full day without anyone else in the house. Like, so, I mean, he did lots of wonderful and amazing things, but like he was the law in our house. And that's because he grew up without any. Mm-hmm. He could do whatever he wanted um, or get chewed out, right? And mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting. So, like, I see that in my dad, and now I think to myself, well, how am I then swinging the other direction with my daughter? And I think it's, I think you swing further, or sorry, I think you swing less far when your parents were reasonable or balanced than you do if your parents were super strict or totally absent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause like my mom grew up with incredibly strict parents. They moved here from Scotland. Like you, you know, just very strict and very stubborn and very, this is how it is and no emotion and you know, like the Scottish way. And so she was always the easygoing parent because she knew what it was like to have parents that, were very demanding. And so I had this interesting balance between my mom and my dad. So like based on the situation, I knew what parent to ask, what question <laughs> to get the answer <laughs> I wanted. Um, but I think for me, because I had such a, uh, I had two parents that were kind of at coming at it from different angles. Mm -hmm. I had a more, I had a more balanced, uh, like they, they balanced each other out, I guess, as far as like discipline and fun and letting things slide and expecting certain level of stuff that I feel like I will not swing as far away from them as either of they, either of them did from their parents because they were at such extremes. Yeah. I, I did not expect to talk this much about parenting, Dave, <laughs> but I guess, I guess it's, it's fresh in my mind because like, you know, my kid's going to be three in November and she is, you know, at that stage in life where, no is her favorite word and screaming is fun for her. And she's decided she likes to hit things, namely mommy or daddy when she doesn't get her way, which is not fun. Um, and so I just, I guess I'm really just starting to think about like 
my own reactions and my own biases and how I am a dad to her and like, how does that, like in what ways am I like my dad and which ways am I not like my dad? And are those differences for good reasons or just to be not like him, even though my dad's a good dude, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like front of mind for me right now. So like when I, when I get, frustrated with my daughter one of the things that I have made a priority is not to raise my voice because that's really easy for me to do and that is something that both of my parents did when they were upset with me and so like we all do angry really well unfortunately it's very Mm -hmm. easy for us uh it's not good but that's just kind of who who we are and in some of our weaknesses and so I've made it my priority to not raise my voice at my kid if it's possible sometimes your anger just gets the best of you right but I have found that in taking the time to take a couple deep breaths before I like she's two and a half it's not like she's telling me she hates me and she wishes that you know, she could run away and I'm the worst person ever. She's just being two and a half and saying, I, this is, I want to play with my horses and don't change my diaper. I don't want to sleep in, you know, like totally trivial stuff. Right. So like we haven't got to the point where she's like calling my ego out yet, <laughs> you know, where I'm going to react. But there is, there is something in, in practicing now. I'm not going to react by yelling. Because mm-hmm. Yelling at a two and a half year old, like what good does that do except damage them? Right. You know what I mean? And so it's been a really good practice for me to be like, I'm not going to raise my voice. We're going to calm down. We're going to both take a couple deep breaths and then we're going to talk about it. And a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy because I'm trying to have a serious conversation with a two and a half year old. Right. Like, but she understands like she, she picks up on everything. And if I'm setting that precedent now and I'm consistent with it when she's older, it's just going to be, this is what we do when we get upset. We take a couple deep breaths and then we talk about it. And because Mm -hmm. we're starting that now, that's giving me a much larger runway to deal with my own crap and my own desire to just be louder, Mm -hmm. which solves nothing. Right. So, wow. Wow. How did we wind up here? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. I'm talking way too much. Dave, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I did I did not mean to get that preachy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess I guess that was lying under the surface. Whew. You want to talk about transformational change? transformational change as opposed to like behavior modification or value shifting. Well, sure. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to. It was just another really interesting talk that happened today. Okay. So her name is Danielle Strickland. She has a book out and she works in um, human trafficking and trying to solve, you know, that whole just crap situation. And uh, 
So she, long story short, she was in Rwanda. Nope, I lied. Uganda. Sorry. They, they kind of rhyme. Um, she was in Uganda, and she was It's part of this thing that I don't remember the name of, but she met this local pastor, and they had, in their entire rural region of the country, decreased um, domestic violence by 60% in one year. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. And she was like, uh, tell me everything because that makes zero sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially this pastor, who was one of the culprits of domestic abuse, beating his wife, um, went on this retreat and these, uh, I believe they were fellow Ugandans, which makes this even better because it's not like we were talking earlier off the air, some white person coming in and playing savior. Uh, it was it was Ugandans helping other Ugandans, like mm-hmm. which is the way you want it to happen, right? Yep. People that understand the context and the country and the culture and the language and, and everything that, that that goes into you know helping somebody out. All of the uh, uh, what's the word? Um, intangibles, right? And so he went on this retreat, and it was about transformational change, and so. This long story, essentially, they they make the analogy that your your life is like a tree. The fruit that the tree bears are the actions you take. The branches are the things that lead from your values, which is the trunk of the tree, to your actions. So they're the things that say, I value this, so my fruit or my output or my actions are going to be these things. So like they be your behaviors, right? So the branches are like your behaviors and the fruit are the result of those behaviors. The trunk of the trees, your values, the thing you say are important, the things that you want to uphold. But then below the surface are is obviously the roots of the tree. And those are the things that you hold to be true and most important. And what this training was telling this guy and what this guy told uh, Danielle was, any change above ground level is superficial. Right. You can change your yeah. you can change your behavior, you can change your values, and that might change your fruit or two, but until you change your what you believe to be true and what is right, you will never have true change. You'll just have it's just behavior modification. Which, you know, if we talk about that, that always brings up Dallas Willard and the, the gospel of sin management. We're treating right. it wrong. We're treating the symptom and not the root cause. And so what what happened for this individual was they went through and he would say something and it was like, well, yeah, but that's the branch. Oh, the next phase is this. Oh, yeah, but that's that's the value. What What's deeper? And essentially when this guy was like 14 – his dad told him that what it meant to be a man was to be in charge of your household, to have kids that were obedient, and to have a wife that listened. And if those three things weren't there, he wasn't a real man, and people would question his manhood. So when his kids didn't listen, he chewed him out. When his wife didn't listen, he hit her. Right? Ooh. So like he was acting out of what his dad told him a real man was about, and it was taking actions to try and force that to be reality. Mm-hmm. And so when he finally realized, well, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. 
I know this guy named Jesus. I know these other <laughs> pastor. I know these other pastors that have vibrant and loving and warm home environments. I don't. Maybe I should see what they have to say about what it means to be a man and a husband and a father and 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 compare that to what my dad told me. And so he came to the conclusion, yeah, my dad was wrong. And Jesus and these other dudes are totally right. And so from the retreat, he went home and essentially because he was able to internalize the truth of what I believe to be a man is so fundamentally different now than it was before this, mm-hmm. that, that over the next year, his relationship with his children and his wife just fundamentally changed on every level. Yeah. Instead of getting angry, he would cry and filter or uh, uh, process his emotions through talking instead of punching. Right. Instead of yelling at his kids and demanding they do things, he would ask them questions and inquire about who they were and what they were doing, you know, and building relationships instead of just coming home and dictating things to people. And so much, it was apparently so obvious to the people in the area that they came to ask him, what the heck, man, what happened? And so he took some people through the training he went through and then it affected their lives. And those people took other people through the training. And over the course of a year, the measured domestic abuse dropped 60%. Wow. Just because one person was vulnerable enough to question something they had held true for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And realize that it was wrong. Yeah. And then be willing to change. And I was like, holy Moses. Like, what What am I holding on to that's true, that, that I think is true, that is causing issues in my life that if I were to have that sort of vulnerability, would I say, oh, you know what? Yeah, it turns out I was wrong about that. And what sort of ch- change would that have in my life and the life of my family, you know? It was just, it was really uh, quite powerful. Like, I don't have an answer for that yet because I think a lot of that stuff requires somebody else to come and speak into your life. Yeah. Like, I see this thing and it doesn't jive with everything else that you're saying that you believe in or you hold true because sometimes we're, I shouldn't say sometimes, I would say most of the time we're blind to our own garbage. Right. Oh, yeah. We can we can see the surface stuff, and we can often justify it. But I think a lot of the deep rooted issues that are causing us and those in our lives pain are things that we have become blind to because I think we don't really want to admit they exist because that means we're not perfect, right? Yeah. Well, and that's I you know as as you were describing it, I just to me it just is such a commentary on the state of things right now and it just seems like i mean we need god that's that's really you know we need him and we need his grace and but it just seems like what you're seeing more and more is people digging in on their position whatever that may be i'm not saying i'm not picking a position i'm not you know zeroing anybody out but it's just this this idea of we 
dig in and we defend our position versus this sort of like surrender of, uh, you know, and so like what you were describing is the Holy Spirit moving, you know, you're describing this like it's, it's, it's bigger than us. It's God size. It's not something that if we were doing it would change it. And when I look and, and this is painting with a very broad brush right now, but I, as I look at our world today, as I look at America today and a lot of things that are going on, I, I feel like it is us trying to control things. It is us trying to make things happen. It's us saying, this is my position, this is what I believe, and this is why you should agree with me, uh, versus sort of a... God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way. You know, call it revival, call it whatever you want, but just this idea of we can't change it, we can't fix it. God, we need you in a very big way, and we want you to show up and change it in a way that defies logic, goes beyond anything that we could do. And so... I don't, I, you know, I don't want to preach too much, but as you were speaking, I guess that's what I was just hearing about this person was, um, I believe there was repentance. I believe there was surrender and I believe there was just this dependence on allowing God and the Holy spirit to move versus a, I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to defend what I believe because it's true and it's right. And, um, I guess for me personally, I have kind of been on a two two years now, a journey of sort of just my my one of my personal prayers has just been God show me what it is that I have wrong that I think I have right. And to be honest with you, there's there's just a lot of places in my life where I feel like God is opening my eyes to things and it's not even so much a I have to change my position or I have to change what I believe, but just sort of being okay that people may believe differently than me and being okay with, we don't all have to believe the exact same thing um, to, to get, to be friends, to get along, to be considered Christians. Now, again, I, you know, as I say that there's essentials, there's Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died on the cross for our sins and we are dependent on his grace. But then from there on out, so my my church has kind of this, you know, um, in the essentials, unity, non-essentials, charity, and then in all things, um, in all things, grace. <laughs> but anyway. That doesn't, that doesn't rhyme, though. No. So anyway, uh, I don't... I, I think that's a very beautiful story, and I think it is a great example of just how big God is and what he can do, and um, I would say there's probably, I, I feel like there's a longing for that in my life of just wanting God to show up in a big way, and everybody quit worrying about whether they're right and whether their position is the right position, and just a sense of, oh my gosh, we're in awe of God. We're going to fall on our knees and worship him and acknowledge that he's God. And so anyway, it's all good, man. Yeah. Well, 
I don't know if I have anything else to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I might I might be talked out, Dave. Wow. That's I think that's a direct <laughs> result of us talking for an hour yeah. before we started recording. No, an hour and a yeah, an hour and like fifteen minutes before we started recording. Yes. Turns out we like to talk to each other. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> it's an occupational hazard, I suppose, when you host a podcast. We like to chat. Yes. All right. Um, any closing thoughts or anything else you want to talk about before we uh, say um, Auf Zane? I would just say do something that you don't normally do and Maybe even talk to somebody you wouldn't normally talk to. Just put yourself out there and allow God and the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And uh, take a chance, take a risk, and do something that maybe is a little bit out of your comfort zone. All right. Tomorrow I shall streak. (laughs) Just kidding. I feel like that's in your comfort zone. No. Well... (laughs) I don't know. It depends on where I'm doing it. I wouldn't do that, though, because that's illegal. It is. Yes. That's all right. And now I'm thinking about uh, Will Ferrell from old school. <laughs> We're streaking! And he's the only one. Oh, there. he's all yeah, by himself. Yep. <laughs> it's cool, man. You can bring your green hat. Okay. Anyways. Oh, my. I've seen that movie once, and I don't even think I saw it all the way through, but... It's not, it's not very Christian. No. I just like the way some people say Christian. Anyways, uh, this is evidence that we have come to the end of the episode because <laughs> I'm starting to say really dumb stuff. So, uh, end of show business. Uh, contact, come say hello, share your thoughts. Uh, intro, this, okay, let me, let me explain what I mean by this. So the past few episodes I've said, hey, we have a phone number. You can call it. You can leave us a voicemail. And I've said you can either share your thoughts on something we've talked about or you can intro or outro the show. And what I mean by those last two things is you can say, hey, everybody, this is the Masterclass Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Or you can say, hey, my name is so-and-so from this town. This was the Masterclass Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Talk to you next time. Or some variation of that. Or you can just be like, hey. It's Steve. Whoa, that was awesome. Bye. And I'll probably still put that at the end. Um, (laughs) But the point is, we want to encourage uh, you, our listeners, to uh, share your opinions, but also just share your voice and your personality and make this a lot more um, inclusive than than just Dave and I, um, you know. Yes. Talking to each other. As much fun as that is, it would be really fun to uh, add a little flavor and flair and um, diversity to the show in the sense that we are bringing more people's uh, voices and opinions into um, the episodes. So there's a link in the show notes for the number where you can do that. There's also links for Dave's Twitter, my Instagram, our email if you want to get in touch that way. <laughs> what I'm tempted to do. And I'm afraid to say this because maybe no one will email me email us then. But uh, have my iPhone dictate the email. Hello, my name is Chad. I live in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> you, you, you ever had that? Yeah, oh yeah. My wife, my wife does a thing where she'll talk gibberish into her phone, and then have her parents' car read it. <laughs> and so she'd be like, 
ik ik dacht pocket onde a budget what did you hun some man and some budget you budget and then the the voice translator will do its best to make that english oh that's hilarious it reads back what it thinks she said and it is one of the funniest things <laughs> she'll do it for like 30 seconds <laughs> and then the 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 phone is like hello tennessee angry person uh jelly and like just trying to put all the sounds into words and it's truly truly one of the funniest things that i've ever seen her do anyways uh show notes are at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 143 or if you're listening on your phone or ipad or computer the show notes are there somewhere just swipe click they're they're there in your podcast player um hey david yeah I just wanted to say goodbye. Goodbye. I thought I had something clever to say, but I didn't. (laughs) What else is new? All right. Bye. Bye.